Thank you for joining us on the Crossroads Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you as part of our family. We're a community where people are welcomed home, built up, and sent out. Our prayer is for you to find meaningful relationship and belonging with both God and His people. We'd love to connect with you. Download the Crossroads Church app, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or simply send us an email at info at mycrossroads.co. We pray that as you hear this message, you encounter Jesus and all that He has in store for you. Merry Christmas, family. Okay, wow, awesome. Right. That's much, much better. Thank you. Thanks for the, to the high school ministry and everybody, the young adults in the front that yelled. Um, so um, I'm excited to be here today. We are going to be finishing up a uh, four-part series that Bull started for us a few weeks back. Um, if you would indulge me for just a few minutes, I want to take just a little bit of time and kind of recap and maybe catch up because some of you may be visiting family and in for the, the holidays and everything. So I want you to kind of have some context as to what we've been, what we've been talking about. So a few weeks ago, Lowell introduced this series called The Ghost of Christmas Past, and it was based on, um, obviously, the story of the Christmas Carol. And, and really, it was to highlight some of the, um, the, the things that haunt us and, and some of the choices that we make and the words that we receive and the things that we do and some of those things that, that haunt us from our past and how that, um, that process begins to rob us or steal the joy that the Lord has for us. And so um, he started off his first week by um, talking about overcoming offense. And he talked about how we, as we navigate life, we, um, believe it or not, we, we can be offended or we can say things that offend others, but that offense and carrying that offense and walking around in that offense um, or not undoing that offense or seeking forgiveness can actually, um, can actually begin to heap a burden and bind us and chain us up. And then we talked about shame. We talked about the, the, the guilt and the shame that, that we carry in our lives and how, um, whether it be from the choices that we've made or the things that other people have done or have happened to us and how that shame begins to rob us of the joy that the Lord has for us. And then we talked about labels and names and how oftentimes in our lives we place labels on others or we allow people to place labels and, and names on ourselves. And that those, when we begin to receive those and, and we begin to wear those, that it begins to rob us and bind us up. And it steals the joy that the Lord has for us. And so this last um, Sunday, before we head into our Christmas Eve service, um, Lowell asked me if I would speak on regret and the ghost of regret and overcoming regret. So I titled this message, Overcoming Regret, What a Difference a Day Makes, and I'll kind of get to why that phrase, what a different a day makes, in a minute. But I wanted to define for us what regret is, what we're talking about when we're talking about regret, okay? And so regret is feeling sad or disappointed or overwhelmed or angry about something that has happened to us or something that has been, it has been done to us or a missed opportunity or something that we've done in the past. And so if we think about regret in that context, regret is something that happened or to us or something we did or an opportunity that we feel like that we overlooked or missed yesterday. So we're going to be, so when we talk about regret, we're going to be talking about yesterday. 
And it's going to be important for us to understand the context of that because what I've come to realize in my study is that the only way that we can truly overcome regret is to move away from the worries of yesterday and focus on the hope that we have for tomorrow. So let me just give you a really quick story so that you can understand what regret is. I've used this story in this sermon illustration before. Some of you may have heard it, but, um, but I, I still think it's a funny story. It's one of the most profound illustration stories that I ever heard. But a friend of mine was telling me a story um, about a buddy of his who travels all over. He, he travels frequently uh, away on business. And so this gentleman was packing and preparing and getting ready to go away for, for business. And so, but his wife's 40th birthday was coming up. And so she's downstairs in the kitchen and she's talking to her girlfriend on the phone and he's packing and preparing and he's running around the house getting ready and, and she's down there talking and he's listening to her conversation, getting bits and pieces of it. And she's talking to her girlfriend about the worries and the woes of getting older and how, you know, she's more tired and this, that, and the other. And she's got wrinkles in here that she didn't have before. And she starts talking about how she's mostly embarrassed about the cellulite on the back of her legs and that she doesn't, she feels embarrassed to wear a bathing suit and stuff like that. So the husband goes on his trip and he's on this trip and he's staying in this really nice, expensive hotel and downstairs in the hotel lobby is this um, spa. So he goes, he thinks to himself, he's going to go down there, he's going to get her a nice bottle of perfume or something like that for her birthday. So he goes downstairs, he walks in, the manager happens to be there. She asks him. She can tell right away that he's uncertain as to what he's looking for or looking at. And so she begins to inquire, and he tells, tells her his wife's 40th birthday is coming up. And she said, well, what kind of perfume does she like? And he's like, well, I really don't know. Well, what kind of um, bath bomb, thing like that? And I really don't know. He said, you know, I, I did overhear a conversation that she was talking about the other day where she was talking about the back of her legs and she didn't like to say it like. And so the lady goes, that's great. She said, I've got this cream that you can buy. And some, already some of the wives are going, and, oh, that's a really, really bad idea, right? And, uh, and so he buys this cream. She wraps it up in this really nice, expensive packaging. Still, some of the wives are going, this is just, you already know where it's going, right? So he gets it home, and he gives it to her on her birthday, and he's expecting her to open it up and just be so like, this is the greatest gift ever. You're like the perfect husband. And that is not the response that he got. In fact, she started crying. She was mad. She threw it. She stormed out of the room, and it ruined the birthday party. All right? Instant regret of the choice that he made in that moment, right? And I think if we're, true, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us walk through life. It's, it's about, about impossible to get out of this life without regretting some of the choices that we've made or um, being ashamed of some of the things that have happened or, or being offended by the things that have happened or offending other people. So all these ghosts and things that we've been talking about really are, are true and they should hit home for you and I because it's virtually impossible when we walk through this world not to be bombarded by those things. And so today I want to just kind of talk for a few minutes um, about a story and about regret and about overcoming that regret. But I want to give you some context because it's a story that probably, when I first start to read it, is going gonna, is gonna to seem a little odd or out of place. It actually did to me when I really began to meditate on this. And so I want to back you up um, about six weeks ago or so. I don't know the exact timeline, but it's, it's been several weeks now. Um, my mother called to inform me of, of some bad news. So um, when I grew up, I grew up in a, a neighborhood, I would say about 150 houses in the neighborhood, maybe. 
Um, and it was one of those neighborhoods that was kind of up and coming. So when my mom and dad, as a young couple, bought that house, um, they, they bought a house in a neighborhood with many other young couples who were just starting out and just starting to have families. And so in that neighborhood were a ton of kids. Like I, there was probably 30 kids in our neighborhood that I grew up in. And we were always, and I grew up in a time when it was perfectly safe to be outdoors playing and, and be out after dark and things like that. And so there were always tons of kids to play with. And, and just on my street alone, there were probably close to a dozen kids that were plus or minus a few years to my age. Directly beside my mom and dad, just up the street from them, directly beside was, um, was a friend of mine named April. April had a younger sister and her parents and she and her sister lived in this house. And, uh, and they lived there our entire childhood. We all grew up together. We graduated high school together. And even after I moved away, um, April continued to uh, assist my parents when they needed things. Eventually, April's parents became um, sick, and they both passed away. And she and her husband lived there in the house. And they would, if my parents needed things, come down and help them from time to time with things. And they were always, they were always there for them. And a few weeks ago, April was not feeling well. She had some flu-like symptoms and was not feeling very well, so she went to bed. And the next morning, um, when she did not go to work, her son just assumed that she had slept in and maybe had called in sick. And so about midday, when, when she finally had not come out of the room, he went in and found out that his mother had gone to sleep the night before and had not woken up, that she had passed away in her sleep. And obviously, my, my mom and I were very saddened by that. But my mom made a statement at the time that seemed probably, you know, somewhat uh, casual, but, but not pertaining to this. And she said, you know, what a difference a day makes. And I kept thinking about that statement. Like, it just resonated in my soul of what a difference a day makes and how, how often we take for granted today. Like, we just simply don't know how many sunrises and sunsets we're going to have. And... And they are numbered, right? And so a day really does make a difference. And I begin to meditate on that, and I begin to think about regret, and I begin to think about some of the other ghosts that Lowell had talked about, and I begin to think about how often we allow those things to rob us of our todays and tomorrows. And as I begin to meditate on it, meditate on it, meditate on it, the Lord just gave me um, a, a really, really important quote to me and. The Holy Spirit reminded me that regret is the worry of yesterday that steals the joy of today and threatens the hope we have for tomorrow. Regret is the worry of yesterday that steals the joy of today and threatens the hope that we have for tomorrow. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in an Old Testament story. If you have your phone, Bibles, or whatever, and you want to turn, um, I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 3, book of Daniel chapter 3 in the Old Testament. I'm going to paraphrase uh, part of it, and there's, there's a little bit of it I'm going to read directly out of Scripture, but I'm going to be talking about pretty much the whole chapter of chapter 3, and, and then I want to unpack a few things for us. So in Daniel chapter 3, uh, it starts out, with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar building this 90-foot-tall, 90-foot-wide idol made out of gold and placing it on a hill for all to see. And then he declares, he gathers all the religious leaders, all the rulers and everything, and he declares what he's done. He tells them that he's built this statue, he's put it up there, and that every time at an appointed time when the harps and the flutes and things like that play and are blown, then all the people of all the nations are to uh, pay worship 
to this idol, this God. And he said, and anybody that doesn't do that, if they don't worship this idol that I've created, if they don't, if they don't do what they're supposed to do at the appointed time, then they're going to be thrown in a furnace and they're going to be burned. So at the appointed time, when the flutes and the harps and things like that go off, everybody does what they're supposed to do, and, and all the other leaders and the appointed governors and everything around um, do exactly what the king says, and they, they, they give tribute to this idol. Except for a handful of people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't do that. And so some of the um, other leaders who kind of have this, this disdain for the Jews come to the king and they say, hey, just want to let you know, we all did what we're supposed to do, but there were a handful of those Jews that didn't do that. Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down and worship this idol like you told them to. And the king became very, very furious, and he demanded their presence. And they were brought before him, and he challenges them, and he, he calls them out, and he asks them if they did what they were supposed to do, and, and said that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm, I'm going to immediately throw you in this furnace. And it says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. It goes on to say that, that the king becomes even more furious at them, and he demands that not only the furnace be fired up, but that it be fired up seven times hotter. And he, in fact, it's so hot that when the, when the guards and the warriors are taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the fire, they're actually consumed by the fire, and he throws them into the fire, and he sits back to watch the spectacle, expecting that his wrath is going to be fulfilled and that these men are going to be burned, and the example that, that he threatened to make is about to be made. And then it says, he looked, it says the king, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, I see four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. The king goes on to approach the fire, and he demands that the three come to him, and when the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come to him, he sees they're completely unharmed. Nothing's been burnt. They don't even smell like smoke. And he realizes in that moment what happens, and he says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent, sent his angels to rescue his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. And he goes on to give a decree that anybody that speaks against the god of gods will suffer his wrath. I want to unpack a couple of things for you and I as the church because one of the things that I discovered in all of my studies is that the only real answer that I come up with of how to overcome regret is not to focus on my mistakes, not to focus on yesterday, but to focus on the hope that I have in who God is in my life for tomorrow. 
I know this is an Old Testament story, and sometimes we read Old Testament stories and we think that that happened several thousand years ago. So let me just let me go back and kind of unpack some of this because perhaps some of it may resonate with you and I today. So first of all, there was a religious leader or religious leaders who thought very highly of their positions of authority. Not that that would happen today to any of our political leaders. Okay? And I said it in first service. I just want to be clear. I'm not talking about one party or another. I'm talking about both. That we live in a world in which we seek authority and power, and we tend to think very highly of our authority and our power. And so the king thought very highly of his authority and his power, so much so that he felt like that he knew better than the rest what idols should be worshipped. So just keep in mind that this story starts out with human beings making idols to themselves and worshipping false gods. We live in a world, and in our flesh, that is exactly what you and I have a tendency to do. We tend to worship false idols. We tend to elevate certain, certain things. And I want to challenge you that regret starts by putting our hope and trust and standing firm in who God is, not the idols of this world. That our, our future, our eternity does not rest in a man or a woman or a group of leaders that have been elected by you and I to solve the world's problems, that we serve a God that set the sun on fire, that we serve a God that set the planet in motion, that we serve a God who determines how far the oceans go, we serve a God that determines when the seasons change, we serve a God that determines what planets are where, what stars are where, we serve a God that does all of that. My hope does not rest in a political leader or a political party or a political future, but my hope rests in a king of kings who has been on the throne from the beginning and will always be on the throne. Amen? And when I fix my eyes on that certainty, then I'm able to stand firm in the truth of who I am and the choices that I make. The next thing that happens is when they choose not to be disobedient, the other political leaders around them take notice of that. And they decide to go to King Nebuchadnezzar and tattletale and go, hey, you set up this decree, but those, those God lovers over there, they didn't do what you, they, you said they were going to do. Again, just want to challenge you that perhaps we live in a world in which the worldly perspective and the worldly point of view of morality tends to think that it knows better than the Word of God. And when we stand firm in the Word of God, when we stand firm on the absolute truth that is in this book, the haters are going to hate. They just are. We see it time and time again. We see our political leaders who proclaim the, the truth of who God is continuously sought to be marginalized. We see godly businesses. 
We see churches. We see, we see Christian persecution all over the world. And I promise you, if you stand firm in what God says, if you stand firm in who you are, the haters are going to hate. And they're going to call you out. But I want to challenge you that sometimes the right thing and the hardest thing are the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar is so enraged by their defiance that he confronts them and begins to question how dare they do this. I want you to understand that regret, if we're not careful, regret will convince us to believe that God is weaker than our choices. A group of lions is called a pride. Um, a, a group of a flock of uh, vultures is called a committee. Uh, a group of cows is called a herd, right? A group of dogs are called a pack. A group of rhino, rhinos are called a crash. Okay? Rhinos only see 30 feet in front of themselves. They can't see 35 feet, 90 feet, 100 feet ahead of them. They can only see 30 feet in front of them. Now, you would think that an animal that could only see 30 feet would walk everywhere it goes, right? Because if you can't see what's 35 feet ahead... Just, you need to take your time getting there. But they don't. A rhino runs everywhere it goes. See, it's simply not worried about what's 35 feet in front of it because the rhino knows that it runs about 30 miles an hour. So it, it's going to run through whatever obstacle may be in its way. You and I, as the children of God, as brothers and sisters of Christ, need to adopt that same mentality and stop worrying about what's going to happen 35 days from now or next year or 10 years from now. And we need to trust that, that, that God is already in our tomorrow, that he, His Word says He's given us hope for a tomorrow. Yesterday is already gone. We are only in the day, and we need to run as hard as we can in the 30 feet that He's given us today. He confronts the three, and the three look at him, and I love what they say. I love the fact that they say, we're simply not going to do it. If you need to throw us in the furnace, throw us in the furnace. But we believe that God can save us. But then they go, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your false idols. If you want to overcome regret then it starts with the day dying to your flesh. It starts today going, you know what? God is completely capable of saving me, but even if he doesn't, then I'm going to stand firm in the truth. And I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to my rights, my will, what I think my future could be. And I'm going to stand firm in who God, because regardless of what happens to me today, it doesn't change who he was yesterday, and it doesn't change who he'll be tomorrow. Regret convinces us that God is smaller than the will of man. 
but hope says otherwise. Hope gives us power over our tomorrow. So the king binds them up and throws them in the fire. I don't know about you and I, but when I'd be going towards that fire, there's at least part of me in the back of my mind going, ooh, man, did I make the right decision here? But I want want you to see what happens when you and I stand firm in the fiery furnace. Because King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and he goes, wait a minute, we only threw three guys in there, but I see four, it looks like the son of the gods. And he rushes over to the fire because when you and I stand firm in the fire, God shows up. And most of the time, God shows up in ways that that cannot be denied. How many times have you watched somebody go through something and you're looking going, how in the world are they able to stand through that? But then you keep seeing miracles happen. How many of us have walked through something and go, I have no idea how I'm still standing. There's no way that that I could be burdened with this. But then you see God keep showing up and showing up and showing up. So they stand firm in the fire and the king goes, wait a minute, I see some kind of miracle happening here. He rushes over to the fire, calls them out. They seem to be unscathed from the fire and he is amazed and he is radically changed. In fact, he is so moved by what he just saw that he creates a decree that just undoes what he just did. Them standing firm against those idols caused him to abandon his. If you and I want to change the political landscape in our country and the political landscape in the world, then we stand firm in what we know is true. We don't need to conform conform to anybody else's way. We stand firm even when we're threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace. I love the fact that Lowell chose the Christmas carol as an illustration leading into this season because I think it's, I think it's so fitting. We find Ebenezer Scrooge in the beginning of the story as angry and bitter and broken and alone. And as the story progresses, he goes home that evening after work and a friend from his yesterday shows up, a ghost from his yesterday shows up And he's bound with all these chains from all this guilt and this shame and regret. And he looks at Ebenezer and goes, this is the future that awaits you. And the last time I saw your future, your chains were longer, your regret was bigger, your your shame was worse. And then the story goes that the three ghosts come to him and they remind him of what joy and hope and love and grace and mercy look like. And then they remind him, they show him of what a future absent of that. And how if you're not cautious, you'll drag the regret and the shame of everything from yesterday. You'll drag that baggage into tomorrow. But right now, today, In this moment, you have an opportunity to let go of those chains and to grab hold of hope. 
He wakes up the next morning, he goes outside, he asks them what, what day it is, and they tell him it's Christmas Day, and he goes, wait a minute, they did all of this in one night? In one day, all of this happened? And he says he's as giddy as a schoolboy. And all I kept thinking about was, that sounds like a person reborn. And as the band comes up, I want to close with this thought. We come here each week and we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the God of creation. Many of us came here today with guilt, with shame, with burdens. Most of us came here today either having committed offenses or feeling offended. We've given labels. We've accepted labels. But I want to challenge you that right now, today, in this moment, all of that can change. Because when I read the scriptures and I see the miracles that Jesus did, almost all of them start off with, and then one day, Jesus did dot, dot, dot. 2,000 years ago, on any given day, on one particular day, I mean, there were shepherds living out in the fields. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news a great joy that will be for all people because today in the town of David a Savior has been born He is Jesus Christ our Lord if you'll bow your heads maybe you're here today and you've never experienced that encounter I want to invite you right now in this moment to do that we're going to pray in just a minute there's nothing magical per se about the exact words that we're saying what's magical is about the commitment that you make in this moment what's special is about the, the reality that heaven and earth meet in this moment so with every head bowed and every eye closed if, if you'll just repeat this prayer after me Father God I just want to thank you for who you are and I thank you for who I am not I regret the choices that I've made in my past, but I cling to the hope of today in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I invite you into my heart right now. I invite you to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. I invite you to test me and purify me with the holy fire of your spirit. And Lord, I pray today be a different day. I pray that you'll be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Crossroads Podcast. Check back with us weekly to hear more messages. We hope you have a blessed day.